Welcome to the Cleaning Up Business Podcast. My name's Chris Kilfoyle and I'm going to be your host. In every episode, we're hoping to bring you industry leaders from a wide variety of service sectors, disruptors within their industry and day-to-day entrepreneurs with some business and life lessons for you guys to take away. Let's jump in to today's episode. So tell me a little bit about the early days of Cleanology. I was working something like 100, 120 hours a week. Wow. That week we dismissed, I think, 100 people. And she's like, we've made more money in one month than we did in the whole year. And for me, that was just like a really big moment. I up one day and said, oh, I've had enough of cleaning. Do you want to buy the business? And I was like, yeah, okay. I'm not going to pay you a lot for it. Oh my God, we actually won it. I was yeah. like, we never win anything. Well, how happened? And sometimes you do have to be prepared to walk away from business. You have to prepare to say no. You're not having a startup in every single city. Sometimes you get into these situations, you know, like, I don't know how I ever got through that. Will I be here forever? I don't know, probably not forever. We should have done that a little bit sooner. Do you think we've missed the boat? Welcome back to another episode of the Cleaning Up Business Podcast. Today, I have another fantastic guest. I have the CEO and co-founder of Cleanology, which was founded in 1999, a member of the Living Wage Foundation and panel member of the All-Parliamentary Group for Cleaning and Hygiene. Today, I have Dominic Panaya with me on the show. Dominic, thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Chris. No problem. So... As with all of our guests, what we do at first, we urge you to go all the way back to the start before you even started Cleanology. Just tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey up until before you started Cleanology. Okay, well, I uh, left uni. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I was involved in a few other businesses before Cleanology. Um, so my first business was a waste paper exporting business. Okay. We used to export paper from uh, Europe to Asia, which is where it was recycled. Um, but the uh, exchange rate wasn't very good at the time, uh, and the business kind of um, took a natural a natural decline. and uh, And I folded it. Um, it was a bit annoying because I later found out the richest woman in China is a waste paper <laughs> recycler. He's a multi billionaire. I missed my <laughs> opportunity on that one. Um, and then I had a web design business, um, which was successful, but didn't, didn't really make that much money. So I gave that up as well. Um, and then I started a motorized rickshaw business, um, which was my, um, you know, my, my sort of like big triumph, our first big triumph. Um, Is that like the motorized rickshaws that you see going around Soho and things like that? Um, no. So those are the cycle ones. Okay. So these, are the, these are the ones that you find in India or Thailand. Oh, wow. So the okay. motorized ones. Yeah. Um, so we ran that in Brighton for two years. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> launched it um, in 2006. Um, and I was doing, I was working something like 100, 120 hours a week. Wow. Um, I was actually sort of running technology at that time as well. Okay. Like sort of Monday to Thursday. Yeah. And then I worked weekends down there. But this was like a seven day a week business. Yeah which ran from eight in the morning till two in the morning. Um, and I would basically sleep between two and, two and eight um, and, then, and then start again. Um, and I, I took me about six months to recover just from that experience. Um, but in the end, it just closed because we wanted to run it in London and um, we couldn't get it licensed in London right. because the mayor of London would have, to, would have had to take on the taxi lobby, which he wasn't prepared to do at the time, Ken Livingston. And, um, and so I gave that up and I'd lost a lot of money on really? that project, six figure sum. Wow. So it was uh, it was quite painful. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and then um, how, Cleanology. How, just quickly to, to yeah. lose it, because how did, 
how did that affect you? Did that make you nervous in terms of starting something else when you have a financial burden like that? It it did, um, and I kind of thought I would never be able to pay it back, and sure. that was always a bit like, I'm going to have that over, over me for the Forever. rest of my life. Yeah. Um, uh, I have paid it back, thankfully, but um, it was it was quite... Uh, Worrying time. It was quite stressful. Mm. Because, imagine. you know, going into something else and then effectively, you know, spending more money, yeah. um, you know, you're basically in debt before you've started, so... Mm. Yeah. Must have been tougher. It, it was quite a tough time. Um, so, so yeah, so then, then I got involved in, in cleanology and I, I kind of fell into it by accident. Okay. Um, as most people do in this industry. That's a, a recurring <laughs> theme in this industry, I can assure you. You, you get in and you get out, sure. um, which is what my, my mother did, or you get in and you stay in and you never leave, which is what, where I ended up. Um, <clears throat> so my mother um, got involved in it, also by accident. Um, started, um, uh, she had a friend actually who was going to, um, who had a cleaning business who was going to retire. Uh, and then that kind of fell through um, and, and, you know, ended up not retiring and uh, keeping the business. And then my mother had an opportunity to uh, quote for a contract um, and not expecting to want it. She won it. And she kind of just ran that as a small home business hobby for four years. Uh, we had one cleaner, um, one client. Um, <clears throat> and then I left uni. Uh, and then um, she said, oh, can you help me do some marketing and get onto you know, Google and all this kind of thing. And and so I, I said, sure, why not? I've got a few other things going on, but I can give you a bit of help. Yeah. Um, so I think we're about the third company on Google, paying about 10 or 20p a click. Um, uh, it's now more than that now. I, I think we're about 80 quid a click yeah, now. Yeah, probably. Um, so yeah, it's gone up a lot. Um, but back then, you know, that's when it first, first started. Uh, and the business kind of really just grew from that, actually. It really okay. just grew from Google. Yeah. Um, and... And, and yeah, the rest is history. As they so say. How, how old was you when you found, when you got involved with Mum at Cleanology? <coughs> um, how old was I? Yeah, uh, I was about 23, 24. Okay, so relatively young. Yeah, relatively yeah. young. And then I and then I launched the other business um, sort of two years later, but I had Cleanology running at the same time. Okay. Um, but then I, in two thousand and eight, I kind of gave up right. all the other stuff. Yeah. And focused just on Cleanology. So. My kind of full-time cleanology period was 2008 onwards. Okay. Was it called cleanology from the start? Is that, did mum call that or was that you? Or? It wasn't actually. It was called something, something else. It was called Cream Cleaning Services, right. which is like a really funny name. I don't know where we even got that from. But <laughs> we gave that up um, after about four years okay. and then, went, then we launched it as cleanology. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Take me through, you know, you mentioned about getting into the industry and a lot of people never leave it and a similar story to me I, I've done exactly the same tell me a little bit about that that start the early days of cleanology so obviously you know you're working with mum and we'll come on to that that'll be interesting to know how that dynamic worked and how that ended or if that's still ongoing um so tell me a little bit about the early days of cleanology you started with one commercial contract what was the process for sort of building that slowly yeah, I mean, um, you kind of look back and you remember, or you sort of forget, and then you remember how hard it was <laughs> in those days with, with, with nothing to rely on in of terms of, like, no case studies, no references, you know, literally, like, hi, I'm going to do a great job for you. Yeah. Um, and trying to persuade a client to, to go with you. Um, so it was very hard. Um, I mean, in the early days, um, I used to kind of get up four or five in the morning um, kind of do payroll um, and kind of admin. Um, then I used to get ready, go out and do sales meetings. Then I come back and do kind of finance billing, place orders, 
and then I go out in the evening again and see, you know, kind of um, see the cleaners and do quality orders and checks and things. So I kind of did everything in, in, in those days. Um, in terms of kind of winning business, um, most of it kind of came inbound from, from the internet. Um, so we would produce quotes and, you know, for the first, I think the first 10, I think we won one of them. Okay. Um, and we were just completely out on pricing. I had literally no idea how to price anything. I, I was going around and I was like, there are four radiators, it probably take me about a minute to clean each one. I was going, you know, and it was just like, it was, I mean, oh, it was just, it was a total car crash. Yeah. And now, you, you know, just never, ever do it in that way. Um, so, yeah, I, I had no idea how to do anything. I had to teach myself everything from, from the beginning. It's interesting, you know, um, that's how not a lot of companies do that. They do a lot of outbound marketing early days and they're going around and seeing people. But you sounded like you relied quite heavily on the internet and technology early on, which not a lot of cleaning companies do. We rely a lot on inbound marketing. Do you still invest a lot in that now in terms of, you know, your website and people coming yeah, to you rather than... Yeah, we, 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 we uh, I mean, our website's, you know, got a 20-year history, so it's quite rec well recognised yeah. on Google. Um, but we spend a lot of money on Google, six-figure sum a year. Okay. Um, so we still do a lot of a lot of advertising. I would say we probably get half and half, half okay. inbound and half outbound. Yeah. Um, uh, and a lot of referral, a lot more referral now than ever. With existing clients. Um, uh, existing clients were just you know we heard of you through someone and you know sure. that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas we never had that at the beginning. It was all it was all inbound. I never made any outbound yeah. sales calls. And you were totally responsible for all all that marketing, all the marketing and stuff. You didn't have someone, you know, helping you with that. You was doing that. Did everything. Oh, that's that's really good. You've yeah. got that in-house knowledge because, what, to be honest with you, we have to we outsource someone else that's a SEO specialist or PPC or whatever it may be. So. I used to go on every morning. Yeah, <laughs> probably shouldn't say this, but I used to go on every morning and like go on all, all our competitors. Yeah, and click on all oh, their things and outbid them. Yeah, um, and then and then they disappeared for the day, and then uh, and then we'd still be there. there. So, <laughs> so you obviously there seems like there was a relationship with your mum. Tell me a little bit about that. Is she, is she still part of the business? What how did that? What happened with that particular scenario? Is she still? Um, she's not part of the business. Yep. Um, so she was involved um, for probably about a year or so after after I got involved, um, and um, she would you know help me and we'd kind of work together. We worked together very well, um, but I think in the end, once we got to about ten employees, it was just too much. <laughs> it was no longer a, a, a you know a, a sort of part time job. You know, she she used to go every Saturday morning and um, you know see the cleaner, give him his wages and you know, check it all the cleaning and all that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, suddenly you have to do stuff yeah. at all times of the day, every day. Um, and it was no longer sort of just a bit of fun. It was, became a Start bit more serious. serious. Um, so I kind of, we kind of had a discussion around you're either in or you're out. I yeah. can't keep just telling you every week what's going on. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm only going to tell you if you need to know. Sure. <laughs> I've got too much to do and too much to worry about to, to sit and brief you. Um, so you need to decide if you're going to be in or out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she decided to, be out to be out <laughs> yeah. early days i found myself being involved quite heavily in terms of operations by the way that you're telling your story it sounds like you were quite fortunate and you wasn't you that was you involved early operations and what i mean by that is early days people start an sme they're in the business as, as we say as much of a cliche as it is did you have to get involved operationally much and and actually be out on the shop floor with the cleaning staff as you started to grow or was you quite fortunate that you'd had the right people in place so that you avoided that from the off no, I did all of that. Yeah, <laughs> I did all of that. Um, so I, I would go out. Um, I mean, I gave you earlier the sort of example of a typical day, but I mean, I would also go out early, early in the morning. Um, and, and to be honest, for the first 10 years, I would say I was out 
pretty much every morning at five o'clock. Okay. Um, seeing our cleaners, checking sites um, until we had, you know, probably about seven or eight area managers. Yeah. I would still go out. I'd send them photos every morning. Be a pain in the neck to them, I'm sure. Um, and say, I've been to one of the sites, I found all this dust, can you sort it out? Because, you know, if I find it before the client does, that's a good thing, right? Proactive rather than reactive, right? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, and I used to, um, I mean, every cleaner that started, I would go and train them and, you know, um, work with them. And I'd normally do the first shift with them and then I'd come back and see them. Yeah. Um, and then I used to do all the kind of specialist cleans. So, okay. um, carpet cleans, floor yeah, yeah. mopping. Every Saturday I used to go and work. You can't do that. Sorry? You'd go out and do that. Yeah, I'd do, every Saturday I'd take a team. Sometimes, um, I think the biggest team I ever took was 30. Oh, wow. That was like a massive job yeah. <laughs> over the whole weekend. Um, bank holidays. I mean, I remember one of, my, one of our clients now has been with us for, for what, 16 years. Um, I, the relationship, now they're in our sort of top, top 10, um, <clears throat> you know, sort of six-figure sum. Um, and the first time I ever met them, uh, was to go on a bank holiday Monday in May and go and clean all their chairs in their conference um, venue. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I never had an issue with doing that. And, yeah. and, and I kind of thought I need to know what I'm selling and what I'm doing. Like, if I'm not doing it myself, how can I possibly understand, yeah. you know, how, how long things take and sure. and explaining the challenges to, um, to a client. Yeah. And I think probably that's also helped us with our success is to say, look, I, I, I know what I'm talking about because I've done it and I've been a cleaner yeah. and I've done all the specialist jobs. I've, I've done everything in this company and there's no one, there's nothing in this building that no one is, you know, yeah. has uh, done. I find a lot of founders, you know, they have to be involved early days and nearly everyone we spoke to. And I think that's the only, like you say, Dominic, the only real way you can learn your business is from, from the bottom the trade, up, isn't yeah. it? You know, making sure that you understand the operations, what goes on, the challenges that your guys are facing so that you can, one, educate staff, you know, educate clients as well, and then deliver the service because you know what, what needs doing. You know what's involved, yeah. So tell me a little bit about the journey of Cleanology up until today. Was there, you know, is there any real pivotal moments within that journey that you can recall or was it just... You know, steady, because for us, the first, we've been going eight years now. The first four years were relatively steady, you know, good growth year on year. And then as you start to scale and get bigger, it comes a little bit more difficult. Um, so tell me a little bit about that cleanology journey and, and sort of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, um, we, I remember our sort of first big name client was Pizza Hut. Um, and I was actually at, um, I was visiting some prisoners in Brixton Prison, um, last week and telling them about the story <clears throat> and saying that, you know, you've got to, you've got to use whatever, whatever you've got to get you to the next level. Um, so, you know, it sounds great. You know, you're cleaning for Pizza Hut, big international company, but actually no one knows that it was just like a local pizza joint in yeah. Pimlico, which is like about this big. Um, but that was our sort of first big name. And I leveraged that a lot. I used okay. to tell people, Oh, we work for people like Pizza Hut. And everyone's yeah. like, Oh, wow, that sounds good. And no one had to know that it was like, you know, one store, uh, a rundown pizza sure. joint, which is, a, yeah. <laughs> you know, like that. So, um, so that was our sort of first big break. And on the back of that, we won a whole load of business, which was great. Um, and then, yeah, we've had lots of, lots of big moments. I suppose 2008, when I kind of got into it full time properly, um, is when we won a few kind of big contracts, so, you know, sort of at, at the time, there were very big contracts for us, sort of fifty to hundred thousand a year yeah. type contracts, and um, um, <clears throat> that kind of took us through the million uh, barrier, um, which was a big moment uh, for, for us. What year? When was that? How long into that your journey was that? 
Can you remember? Um, it was about 2009, 10, I think. But we 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 started. We won those contracts sort of end of 2008. Yeah. And then 2009, 10, we we you'd realize the revenue. We broke the the million barrier, which was like a big a big moment, as it was when we hit 10 million. Um, so, you know, you have the sort of moments that you? you sort of like, you know, you want to go from one to five to 10 and, yeah. you know, and all that. But um, so those, those are big moments. Um, and I think in terms of, yeah, in terms of people, um, I can remember when we had, um, we had a, um, an ops director who was, who was very good. <clears throat> and he, um, he, he left us, I think it was 2000, 2015 or something like that. And um, I can remember that time when, when he said, oh, I'm, I've got, I need to talk to you. And I thought, oh, here we go. <laughs> I think he's going to resign. Dreaded yeah, moment. that dreaded moment. You know, can I, can I have five minutes with you? Um, and he's like, yeah, I, I'm going to leave. And I was like, why, why, what's going on? You know? um, and, and for me, that was just like a really big moment um, when I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to like review everything what I'm doing and, and, and really to kind of take stock. Because we'd spent a lot of time and money and invested in somebody who I thought was really good. Yeah. And, and, and they were very good. Um, and I kind of thought, we're, we're, we're obviously doing something wrong. And, we're, you know, it's so not we're happy. Yeah. And, you know, we can't keep losing good people like that. Mm. Because it's hard to get good people. So when you lose them, it's a real, it's a real blow. Um, so that was the moment, really, that we got, um, that I really kind of decided, okay, we're going to have, you know, I think at that point, we're actually about 5 million. Um, <clears throat> and I sort of said... Do you know what? I feel like I'm drifting a bit and I kind of, you know, we're doing okay and we're sort of like, you know, we've grown, but I kind of feel like I need a plan. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to have a chat to a few people I know in the industry and just like see what people think um, and just get a bit of a, use people as a bit of a sounding board. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of put together a, a plan. So first part was to bring in a non-exec uh, and that was quite a big moment for us because that Gosh. kind of made us a bit more... Um, a bit more corporate yep. and there's a bit more um, scrutiny, I'd say, on right. what we're doing. Um, Someone independent that can come in and exactly. you know, has got no relationship within the business at the moment. They don't know anything yeah, apart exactly. from what you tell them once yeah. <laughs> So And they give you them difficult questions that you need to answer, right, to, to enable to scale. Yeah, exactly. And and that was that was the big moment because that was kind of really what took us to, you know, we sort of said at that point, okay, we're at five million. I want to go from five to ten in three years, which we did actually, and um, and and I think because we sort of made all decisions around that growth process, so we said right, we've got three years. If we, what do we want to do to get there in three years? If we spend money on this, this, and this, is that going to help? No, it's not. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, you know, everything, all the decision making was then around that focus. So having that focus was really good. Yeah. Uh, and that that was a, a big moment for us. Yeah, I think it's interesting you said that about getting someone independent you know, in to, to ask them tough questions. And I think us in our business journey, you know, we're, we're nowhere near the cleanology size, but, and it's interesting you said that, you know, you had to pause for a second and just take a little bit of stock to say, well, okay, why have we lost, you know, a good employee and where do we go moving forward? So sometimes taking a little bit of, a couple of steps back to then move forward yeah. is something that, you know, a lot of businesses should, it's a reoccurring thing that comes up in the podcast and that a lot of people have said. So that non-exec piece, was that, would you say that was a real pivotal moment within the business and changed where you were going? Is that something you still have in place at the moment? It is something we still have in place. Yeah. Um, we are, um, we've had a couple of changes since, but actually the people we've had have been A, very good and B, have lasted quite a long time. Yeah. And um, obviously for, for, for different reasons, you know, they've sort of moved on, but typically, 
Um, my understanding is that non-execs will stay, you know, a year or two, and actually ours will stay three or four. Wow. Um, so, um, which is good. I mean, you know, there's no reason for them to, to, to not be there kind of thing. So, um, which I suppose is good because we valued what they've brought to the table and hopefully they've got something out of it as well um, and, and have learned, you know, learned something. The, so the growth between, you know, zero to five million is sort of one aspect. Obviously, I'm assuming the rest of that growth isn't through PPC and, thing, and you know, contracts like that, some of the bigger contracts that you get now. So did you get a sales team? Did you start to get a sales team in or was you still really heavily involved in the business development aspect of the business through that latter part of growth? <clears throat> yeah, so um, we, I, I, I've been involved. I mean, I used to do all the sales, um, uh, obviously, at the beginning. Um, up until sort of 2019, 2018 maybe. Okay. Um, and so still the, relatively recent. Then. Yeah, it is quite recent. Yeah. yeah. And, and I used to do quite a lot. So we, we have had BDMs. We've had um, sales directors. Um, I mean, anyone in the industry will tell you recruiting for somebody good in sales is like one of the hardest roles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, and... Yeah, I, I I did most of the sales. Most of it was inbound. Okay. Um, we did a we did also an acquisition. Um, oh wow! In 2013, so we went from about um, we went from about we were about three million at, at that point in 2013, um, and it was a company that was in in a bit of distress. They were kind of run out of money, right. um, so we took them over, and that gave us that gave us about a million pounds worth of business. So okay. it was quite big for us at that time. Yeah. Um, and I remember that, 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 that was a really weird moment because I remember our financial, our, f- our finance manager came into me one day and she says, you need to have a look at this. You need to have a look at this. I'm like, what, what is it? What is it? And she's like, we've made more money in one month than we did in the whole year. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <Lovely>. <laughs> I know. I was like, what? What? What do you mean? <laughs> Show me. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I can't believe it. Um, and it was really weird. It was a really weird moment. And I think it's just we had all the infrastructure and yeah. all the, um, you know, all the, um, everything we needed basically to run that business, whether it was 3 million, 4 million or 5 million. So anything we added on was really just going, going to the bottom yeah. line. Um, and that really kind of, that really helped us like get us to, to the next level. Yeah. Did you not, I didn't, I didn't know that. So that, that's an interesting process. Did that not become a business? Because some people, they acquire one business and then they, they've got the business function. So they've got HR, they've got their payroll all in-house already. So they don't have to take that function from the other business so they can effectively you know, bring that in-house. Did that, was that tempting to become a business strategy then to just acquire more businesses to then give you the growth you needed? Or was it, you went yeah. through that process and thought, well, actually, it's not. Um, I was, so kind of 20... Well, sort of 2010, 2011, I kind of thought, you know, we were doing quite well organically, but I always thought if we're going to grow really quickly, we've got to do some kind of acquisitions because otherwise, A, a it was, I'm quite impatient, so I like to like, get on with get it, go. <laughs> get going. Um, so I thought it would speed things up a bit, and I thought they might also bring up some interesting opportunities along the way, like yeah. you never know what, what you're going to come up against. So um, I was always looking, but trying to find something is really difficult. Okay. Anyone, anyone doing an acquisition will tell you that they're... They're not easy to get the right fit. So you want the right geography, the right type of clients. You yep. know, there's a whole lot of things you you want and trying to get everything. It's like buying a house. You just never get everything. Yeah, can't get everything. You can't get everything you want. Um, <clears throat> so so this opportunity came along and I thought, you know what? It's not really going to cost us very much. Um, in fact, anything at all. So we're going <laughs> to we're going to do this deal. Um, and, and that actually was really, really successful for us. Um, and we did two years later a small acquisition in Manchester. 
So we had a client who had an office in Manchester and they said, um, you know, can you please take this on for us? We were only in London and I never, I always swore we'd never ever leave London. I was like, there's enough of this business in London to yeah, like, you know, once we saturated London, we'll worry about the rest of the country. And um, anyway, he persuaded me to take this on and he's like, oh, look, just sub it out, charge me a management fee. And I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Um, so I went out to Manchester, met all these companies. Um, I think two... Well, three out of five turned up on the day. So I was already down to like three. Yeah. Then I got the quotes. One of the quotes never bothered coming in. The other one was ridiculous. And then one guy sent me the quote. So I kind of felt like I had to beg this guy to yeah. take it on. Please. Um, and, but I also thought, actually, that's also an opportunity in Manchester, um, which we can maybe talk about. But um, So anyway, this guy took it on. Uh, he was an architect by trade. Um, and he had a small business. It was like doing 300K a year or yeah. something. And he said, phoned me up one day and said, oh, I've had enough of cleaning. Do you want to buy the business? And I was like, yeah, okay. I'm not going to pay you a lot for it, but I'll take it off you. Yeah. Um, and then we were in Manchester and then kind of Manchester just grew. And <clears throat> a lot of our clients, you know, you see a lot of companies now moving up to Manchester. Yeah, it seems quite a popular um, part of the country now, doesn't it? It is. And a lot of people have, you know, an office up there and, and one here or a restaurant or whatever it is. Um, so Manchester has been a really good success story for us. So, um, on, obviously, you know, the size you guys are now, you must have, you know, a fair load of people on the ground delivering. And you've obviously got in your new office that we're in today, which is fantastic. Again, thank you for having us here. You've obviously got a lot of staff. What's the process of sort of managing those staff? Is it, tell me a little bit about that. What infrastructure you need to manage such a large workforce that you need in a business your size, predominantly because we're labour-based <coughs> business as well. So tell me a little bit about the structure you've got there. So we've got a um, field-based team, okay, um, and then we've got uh, the sort of head office team, yep. essentially. So they look after uh, finance, HR, payroll, um, obviously sales, and the senior operational team are all based in the office, uh, of which there are about 50. Um, and then we have the operational team who are area managers, um, um, you know, regional managers yep. and so on. So they tend to be mostly out on site. Out and about on site yeah. managing the team. Yeah. Yeah. Is it, do you find that a difficult part? Obviously you've got a large management structure here. You're the CEO of this business. Is is that difficult to manage lots of different people <clears throat> at, at scale when you're as big as, as you guys are? Do you find that difficult or um, do you enjoy it? Um, I do enjoy it most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> when, pe um, people are not bringing you when people are not bringing you problems. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, bring me solutions, not problems. Um, yeah, no, I do enjoy it. But um, it, it is hard, especially especially more recently when we've become more national and remote. Yep. Because we've got, when you're sort of all together, and that's partly why we moved. Um, and, you know, we wanted, we were sort of on different levels in two different buildings. Um, and it was quite hard to communicate internally. So we decided to move so that everyone could be on one, on one you know, open plan office, which actually has been a lot better. Um, more successful than I thought it was going to be yeah. because there's a lot of people are a bit like, oh, you know, know about that. We're, we're going to get watched and, yeah. you know, all this kind of thing. And also like just the noise levels. Yeah, sure. Um, but actually it's, it's, it's been okay. Um, but managing people remotely is quite hard. And I think making people, you know, our team in Scotland and, you know, the Midlands and Manchester, making them feel part of the team yeah. is really hard. Yeah. And I don't think we've got that right yet. No. It must be super difficult, you know, being that, that, you know, that spread out in terms of geography. Um, it must be it must be hard to, to manage and to say, I wondered if you enjoyed that because I think that's an area for me that I need to improve on in terms of, you know, 
higher level management and, and, and that interaction there. And as I say, especially with the move to working remotely that COVID introduced, you know, not a lot, of, they're not in the office as much as maybe because a lot of our stuff is done out on site. Well, I say we're, we're still an SME, but I sort of wondered how, how you guys done that. The, the national move, was the Manchester part, was that a pivotal piece within that to say, right, actually, we're comfortable where we are in London now. We've acquired this business up in Manchester. Actually, let, let's have a go at, you know, servicing country, uh, servicing customers up and down the UK. Was that a pivotal moment there? Um, um, Manchester was kind of like our backbone, I suppose. And, and um, from Manchester, we ran uh, Leeds, Birmingham. Yeah. Um, we, we kind of fell into the national bit by accident. Okay. Um, so we had clients who basically said, look, we've got an office in Edinburgh, Glasgow and Bristol and everywhere. Um, you know, again, will you take it on? And we're like, no, please don't, don't we don't want to do it. Um, and then, um, and then we just got more and more clients asking us for it. And we're like, do you know what? We're actually going to have to do this. Yeah. Um, and I think we kind of just got to that size where we are just like, we were working with bigger companies and they're just more national or international in profile. Yeah. And if you, if you kind of say no, you'll end up losing what you've got in London. Yeah. So, um, it's been like, it's been like having a startup in every single city. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been hard because you haven't got any of the infrastructure. Yeah. So, you know, coming back to this thing earlier about managing people, you know, it's, it's, it's managing people remotely and it's also like making them feel part of the team and maintaining the culture and trying to do that remotely is quite hard. Um, but we, um, we, we did go national last year, sort of officially. Yeah. Um, before that, we were sort of like a little bit, a little bit sporadic, but we added, I think it was 14 new cities wow. in, in a year, yeah. um, which is a lot. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. I mean, last year was just absolutely crazy. Yeah, I couldn't imagine, you know, as I say, effectively, like you say, if you're going to a new city, you've got, you're effectively, okay, you've got the knowledge and some of the infrastructure down at HQ here in London, but you're effectively starting over again. You've got to get the right management team. That must be, that must be tough and must have been a challenge and, and tiring at times, I imagine. But is it re- re- rewarding being able to support customers at multi-sites? You- yeah, it is, absolutely. And, um, and and it's great when you're working with, with a customer, you know, throughout the whole business because if you've got, like, you know, if 10 different offices in 10 cities, yeah. um, um, then, you know, it's a great it's great to be able to have. I mean, for them, they love it because they have one company that does everything and they, yeah, they get it across the business. So I think for many of them, they wanted that consistency. Yeah. We were asked to cover Singapore and Belgium last year. No desire <laughs> to go international? I declined both. Yeah. Well, Singapore, I don't know, that might have twisted my arm, to be honest, because that's a lovely place, isn't it? Um, Maybe next year. Yeah, when, you, when you've had a break and recovered. Um, so... You've obviously done fantastic with the growth of technology and you continue to grow. One thing that we always ask all of our guests, you know, it's very glamorized on social media that business is so fantastic and it's always, you know, it's always plain sailing. It's, ne- you know, it's £100,000 in six weeks or whatever these guys say on social media today. Tell me what's been, is there a particular point and say, I'll oh, try not to go to COVID because that's most recent and everyone goes there. Was there a particular point in your cleanology journey that you was, you know, the moment that you can remember that was particularly a difficult period to get through or that you can recall or has it been pretty, you know, plain sailing? Um, No, it's not been plain sailing. (laughs) I've had a lot of... Ups and downs. A lot of tough moments. Um, And, you know, I I don't know, sometimes you get into these situations, you know, like I don't know how I ever got through that. Yeah. Um, But there there, there have been a lot of moments. I mean, I suppose one, a couple I'll share with you. One one financially, I think we've nearly run out of money like three times. 
And I think most businesses, when they're small, you yeah. know, get that. Um, and I think, you know, as you grow, you're spending money, you're always kind of having to spend money to grow. So, um, so the, the sort of financial side is always difficult. Um, I would say sort of sub a million is probably the hardest, actually. Sort of maybe sub three million is, is, is the hardest and probably gets a bit easier as you go. <sighs> Get, I'm glad you said that because I'm getting, it, I'm getting bigger. there. But you, you know, it depends. Also, you know, I mean, I've never, I've never taken out, you know, every bit of profit the sure. company makes. I've always tried to reinvest it. Yep. So um, we've always tried to try to be quite cautious like that, which is which has helped. Um, and I think you know, there's another moment when we moved into our last office about eight years ago. Uh, I think we're about a year in, and um, I think we had seven area managers at the time. And I don't know what happened. There was some like kind of. Um, moment slash meltdown um and we went we ended up from i think six or seven area managers to two um and i just thought oh my god how am i going to manage this business you know i literally cannot be everywhere you know i I will roll up my sleeves and get do whatever's needed but i'm like i actually don't know how i'm gonna get through this yeah um and there were moments in 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 a week or two that i thought actually you know like the whole business might just collapse Mm. um and i as i say i mean couple of them a couple of them kind of left and resigned one went on holiday and never came back and there's just a whole load of disasters that happened all at once but you know i mean you you are you are reliant on your people you are reliant on your team it's, key, you know? it? it's i think people and money are the two biggest things that yeah. are you know and it's quite a kind of boring answer but i think people and money are always the the two things that either make or break and yeah. i think you know even um <clears throat> looking at some of the current team i mean i i, I said recently on a on an interview i did that if i had some of the current people i've got if i had them 20 years ago that would be double the size we are now yeah um and it is it's just down to to people shows how fundamental that having the right people people. like it just makes such a big difference yeah um and you know talking about the sales piece like you know steven our sales director is fantastic and um and so you know i hardly get involved with the sales at all anymore um but you know you you get um, you go through sort of cycles, don't you? You get sort of periods when you've got, you know, a brilliant person there, not a great person there. Yeah. And, you know, if you get all of those moving parts mm. correct at the same time, that's yeah. when you really just fly. Yeah. You've got to have the right team in place. And that's, again, a reoccurring thing that a lot of founders and CEOs have come to. So on the flip side of that, is there a moment within the journey where you think, you know, that really stands out as being you know, fantastic achievement. And you actually took the time because a lot, not a lot of founders do took the time to sit back and reflect on that particular moment that you can recall, you know, a real positive and good time that you can remember. Um, I mean, there've been lots of, lots of highs, um, I suppose. Um, you know, there are those moments when you win, you know, an amazing contract or you win something that you didn't think you were going to win. Um, like these raft of awards that are sitting behind us. Well, yeah. Well, well, the awards separately. I mean, um, we have got we have won a lot. Of awards. Yeah. We sat out a couple recently. <laughs> we still need to let, let someone else have a go. Um, um, but when we won, when we won our first award, it's funny because you know um, when we first started, I remember I had like you know these sort of role model businesses that I looked up to, and I thought you know. God, you know, they got that amazing contract, the Royal Opera House, whatever it was, you know, and I was like, I wish we would be like them one day. Yeah. And how did they win that award? Like, what do they do to, to, to do it? Uh, and now we sit there with now all the awards. Now you can tell um, me. <laughs> but the first one we won, I was just like, oh my God, we actually won it. I was yeah. like, we never win anything. What, what happened? Uh, and we did, we did go crazy that day. Um, we invited the whole company down and we had a massive party at the Hilton oh, <laughs> with 30 of us. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, w w winning winning awards is is fantastic, and I think just the recognition um, and the independent kind of you know validation that you're doing things right is is really good. Um, but also, like you know, you, you winning contracts um, are, are big highs. Uh, you know, there are some without naming particular clients, but you know, there are some that you really think, oh, I really yeah. want to win that, and and you get it. And and actually, you know, from a talent point of view. Um, you know, to, you know, it's competitive as well. So, you yeah, know, you, when you get somebody on board and you're like, that's fantastic. I really, yeah. I really want them to come and work for us. Um, you know, that's a, those are really good moments yeah. as well. As I say, especially in such a competitive industry, which the cleaning industry is, we, we discussed off camera about how competitive it is and how many companies there are that start up. So as I say, getting good people and, and getting them contracts to say, and they're probably some of the pivotal, mo we've had some revenue goals that we've hit and you think, oh, fantastic. I got to there, but then you straight away you're you're on to the next revenue target. So meeting them goals is always good. Do you do you move on from that quickly though? Do you find it becomes a distant memory pretty quick, some of them wins? Um I mean you're always kind of moving on, aren't you, to the next challenge. Yeah. <laughs> the next problem or the next the next win. Um but I think that there are there are some moments that stick out and that will always, you know, that, yeah. that will always stick out. I mean I remember when we did that, uh we did the first acquisition <clears throat> and um um, and you know the team worked really hard on that. It was like really a real slog. Um, and I took them all the way to to buy well, the senior team, the kind of the guys that were involved the most. Um, I took them away, and I say senior team. There was only about well four in the entire yeah, team actually. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> took them all to Barcelona for um, uh, for a couple of nights, oh, and fantastic. you know it's just it was just a really like special moment, yeah. a really really nice moment, and uh, and actually. Um, we got back and I was like, Do you know what? I think we're going to end up doing that again. Uh, and then we've done, I think, another seven trips since oh, wow. then. That's so, a regular thing now. Yeah, so now it's a regular thing. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next for Cleanology? What's the end goal of it for you personally as, as the founder and CEO? Is it continue growing it and just be part of it forever? Is it to move it towards acquisition at the end of the year? What, what, what's the strategy? Or is um, it you don't know that at the moment? <clears throat> You're just going to carry on um, what we're doing. So we... So we're about 25 million at the moment and the plan is to get to about 50 in the next three years. Um, I think, I don't know what will happen at that point. I'll take, take stock and, and, sure. and, and see. Um, but I, I, what, I, what I like doing is having like kind of three to five year okay. goals and plans. You know, you, you kind of get to that point and once you get to that point, you sort of, you know, decide actually I might feel different about it then, you yeah. know, to, to hide it three years ago. So... You know, when I was five million, I was like, I'm going to get to ten million, then I'm going to sell it, and obviously, <laughs> here we are, twenty-five. Yeah, and I'm like, road, like, no, no, I need selling it. Um, so, I mean, will I be here forever? I don't know. Probably not forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, the kids want to. Um, well, one of, one of my kids wants to work in the business. Okay. Um, but I said to them, no, they're going to have to make their own way no, <laughs> really? in life. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing to do, is it? Um, yeah. I don't want them to have have it too easy. I want them to to try and work for it and understand what it takes um, to do it. Um, but um, yeah, I think for us for the next few years, the focus is really building building the national business. So okay. um, we've, we're obviously very strong in London and, and the Northwest, but we want to grow in Scotland, Midlands, Southwest. Start taking over some of the rest of the country. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move on to you outside of Cleanology and some of the stuff you do there, because you are one of the, and that's the reason why we wanted you on the on the podcast. I think you're one of the companies that do your PR social um, very well. Obviously, 
We've got the uh, the trophy behind us. You're um, you're part of the Real Living Wage Foundation, and I believe that's from the stuff I see for you. So on social, that's something you're quite passionate about. How did you get involved in that, and why are you such a big advocate of the of the Real Living Wage for staff? So um, <clears throat> we we are very big advocates of the Real Living Wage. We um, first came across it more than ten years ago by one of our clients said okay. to us, um, "Have you heard about this Living Wage?" Um, you know, it's something that we'd like to sign up to, and I, I'd never heard of it. Um, and um, we agreed to pay, basically pay the cleaning staff more, you know, yeah. higher rate. Um, and then the retention at that particular site um, went from like 50, 60% to like over 90. In fact, the, the three cleaners I worked there didn't leave for like four years. Wow. Um, and, and then um, we decided, actually, do you know what? We're going to... Um, you know, look at rolling this out, you know, uh, another, at other sites. So we started, we started, yeah, as I said, more than 10 years ago, and we've been actually working with our clients to implement it across the business ever since. Um, we only accredited, I think, about five years ago with the Living Wage Foundation, right. and that was kind of to make it all official. <clears throat> but before that, we had, um, you know, we'd been doing it for, for years, as I say. Um, and I think... Just the, well, I mean, there's lots of reasons why you'd pay it. I think, obviously, morally, it's the right thing to do. Um, I think commercially, you've got to sell it to um, to people, don't you? you yeah. know, you've got to sell it to clients and say, you know, you're going to pay, and it's quite a lot more, 25% more. Yeah. You know, what is the business benefit of doing it? Well, the business benefit is is totally straightforward. You know, the cleaning staff have got no reason to leave um, because no one's going to pay them, you know, much more or, or, or any more. Um, so you get the consistency, you get the staff retention, and then you get the cleaning standards yeah. because you've got that consistency. And that's you know that's a key, isn't it? But on on you know continuity of service, not having that turnover of staff all the time is something that we struggle with as an SME. You know, getting the right people in place. And we try. We're not part of the the Real Living Wage Foundation like like Cleanology is, but we try and make sure we pay that. And we just again we discussed off camera. I think the market's going that way to try try and find staff for minimum wage mm -hmm. now is not I'd be close to say close to impossible. Um, so it's definitely something that most businesses should have within the cleaning industry, and I'd encourage that. Do you find it difficult to educate and change the staff, uh, the clients' opinions of that? Because some customers, you know, they want a service for the cheapest possible price they can. How do, how do you go about educating a customer on that particular piece? Um, well, first of all, I'm going to get you signed up to the Living Wage Foundation. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, it's something we've considered. We just haven't done it, and we do do it back of house. And to be fair, I couldn't. It's difficult enough even trying to find people with the real living wage at the moment, let alone anything sub that. So we are trying to move all of our contracts to that. I say we're not part of the foundation, and it's something we can happily discuss yeah. um, because it's, it's a nice to have. It shows you value your staff, but trying to educate customers in terms of that when they've got, you know, a 25% increase or whatever it may be to it's, get to that. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's really hard. And we have, um, I mean, we're, we're sort of lucky in that, you know, we can afford to basically say no, no to business. And yep. we have done last year. There were a couple of big um, hospitality businesses that we, and, and I knew they were going to be difficult about paying the extra money. And, and, you know, it was a big jump for them. But I immediately said, look, guys, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not interested in running it and having my team flat out just yeah. dealing with like you know a churn of staff because basically you don't want to pay the right money to deliver the Get job so we basically said look it's that or nothing and you know a couple of them went away and and came back um and sometimes you do have to be prepared to walk away from business like you know you have to be able to prepare to say no um but i think if you can make the business case for it and say look you know we're in 20 
23, you know, this is the reality of, of today. You know, yeah. five years ago, okay, it's a different story. But now, if, you're not, if you don't pay this money, you will not get what you want. So yeah. It's like, you know, you can't have, my old saying, you can't have a Ferrari for the price of a Ford. No. You know, if you want the best, you've got, to, you've got to pay for it. Yeah. And if you don't want staff missing, you know, missing cleans or whatever, and you want that standard, I say, I think it's, a, it's an absolute necessity for any cleaning business now to be moving towards the living wage. And it makes perfect sense. I think, as I say, we've, you know, we can't even recruit for anything below that now, to be honest. So, you know, it's difficult edging, educating customers. Some get it, so, you know, some will always have that, you know, that attitude of, well, well, I'll, I'll get it cheaper elsewhere. And I think you hit the nail on the head there, having the gumption to say, actually, well, it's not for us then. Yeah. Um, and turn business down. The problem you find is SMEs, we mentioned that, you know, we mentioned that again off camera, you know, a lot of companies don't really have more, don't have more than 10 employees. So they're going to be hungry for the revenue. So there's always going to be someone that does it cheaper, but just holding your line is the, the way we do that. But we've got to do it collectively. And no, exactly as an industry, we need to say like, this is our, you know, this is our bottom line. And if, if, if enough people do it, and I think we're sort of almost at that tipping point hmm. where, you know, enough companies do it, then, you know, people will be like, okay, fine. Then I understand that's the, that's it the, becomes the, new, the, new, it becomes norm. the new norm. Exactly. Sure. Um, but you've got some sectors that are particularly difficult. I think retail and hospitality are particularly difficult. They, they, they don't really get it. I think a lot of their staff get, you know, a minimum wage, but they get tips. It's a different, it's a different, A, it's a different job, and yeah. B, it's a different mindset. You know, it's a different pay structure. So, you know, quite often they say, oh, well, you know, our staff don't get it. So how, you know, how can your staff? It's yeah. like, you can't compare the cleaner with like, you know, the person working in the retail store sure. or, you know, the receptionist, you know, it's a different, it's a different yeah. job. Totally different industry, um, you know. Yeah, and different values, you know, and, and, and that's what segues me nicely in, in, into the next question. We try and steer away from COVID, although it was a pivotal moment in the world, let alone the cleaning industry. You've obviously been quite heavily involved in that with your involvement with the all-parliamentary party group. How was, tell me a little bit about COVID for cleanology, firstly. How, how was that for you? Because most people have the perception, oh, well, you as a cleaning company, you must have been raking it in. But <laughs> the reality is, if you've got this office and no one's coming into the office, you know. We, we you, did you rake it in for about a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then your revenue fell off a cliff. That's what a lot of people don't. So how did you guys manage that? How was that for you guys? So um, <clears throat> we, um, we, we went into, we just won actually the Golden Service Awards for the second time and everything was great. And, you know, they were just starting to do the, the old Wuhan handshake and all that. Um, and then we really had, called that. That's great. The Wuhan the real elbow. The, the, the Wuhan <laughs> handshake, yeah. Um, and then we, we had Sky News phone us up and say, you know, we're doing a piece on COVID. Can we come down and, and, and film? Um, and within about 45 minutes, they were there, you know, filming. And I think two days later, I think it was on the Wednesday and then on the Friday... I, I was literally, I want to just turn my phone off and my laptop. I never ever want to open again. I was like, I cannot take another phone call from another client saying we're going to stop the cleaning or we're leaving the office. We don't know when we're coming back. It's like some kind of like the end of the world. Yeah, you know? it, was it, it, it was crazy. It was, it was crazy. Um, and, 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 and so basically the following week, we just spent the entire week and I had like the entire team in, you know, 12 hour meetings to like eight, nine o'clock at night, um, just going through like every customer, what was going on, did them. Um, and we had to, there's that week we dismissed, I think a hundred people who we later brought back yeah. on, um, on furlough. Um, but it hadn't been announced then. Yeah. Um, and I was like, look, we're gonna have to do what, what it takes to, to survive. I was like, you know, I can't have a hundred people on the books and we haven't got, when they closed, closed the business. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a very scary time just because of the uncertainty and the speed with which it happened. Yeah, it was quick. Um, and our revenues fell 
I think more than 60% and 85% of our staff on furlough. So quite similar to a lot of companies um, in in that respect. And then it was dead, very quiet for like two, three months. And then it kind of picked up. And then coming out of COVID, we lost our biggest customer at the time. Okay. um, Because we fell out over over, over money. (laughs) Um, So they didn't, they hadn't paid us for, you know, since before COVID. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, look, we want you to come back and do these cleans for us. And I said, I'm sorry, you asked a lot of money. Yeah. And until you paid, we're not going to come back. Yeah. And then... And then they, yeah, they basically said, "Well, sorry, we're not, we're not mm. going to do it." And I thought, you know, this is this is kind of like where where we're at now. You know, it's mm. uh, it, it was a brutal time yeah. in some ways. There were some customers who were amazing, yeah, of course, who were really supportive and loyal, and there were others who were just like, you know, we care about the cleaners. We cared about the cleaners a year ago, but we don't need more today. Yeah. Are they your problem? They're gone. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it how was, did you? It was weird. For me, I had a real issue with that period because. Customers would call me, they say, when, you know, lockdown number one, customers would call me, say, right, we're stopping service. And I had that real dichotomy of saying, right, obviously we're in a contractual agreement, you know. Did you carry on charging customers for that time? Because I thought, if I carry, I had that personal thought of, I'm going to have a retention issue with customers if I enforce that I'm carrying on supplying or did you just take that on a case-by-case basis with customers yeah that was a really difficult one yeah. and we spoke to a lot of other companies about that and how before we kind of you know decided decision. how we're going to do it and we said like well you know what are you guys doing about it because we had exactly the same thing we're like how far do we everyone has a contract but how yeah. far do we push it sure. um and we ended up we ended up doing a bit of a it's kind of case-by-case case really um most people um, they went on most of the cleaners went on furlough yep. and then we passed on the furlough discount to, to the customer Stop. so most of them got a you know, 60% discount got it. Um, but we I don't think there were many that we didn't charge at all because right. um, we still had to pay all the full time staff to be honest with you everyone who was working was working more than they'd ever worked before yeah, I agree yeah. um, and you know all the office staff I think quite often it's very easy to think um, you know the cleaning services the cleaners it's, <laughs> the cleaners do one part of it but there's also like, you know, the payroll team that has to get them paid, the finance team that sending the invoices and all the other people behind the scenes. And I think customers quite often forget that bit. So yeah. they were quite focused on the cleaners and they're like, well, they're getting furloughs so and they're fine. Never mind everyone else. Everyone else. Um, so we had to have, we just had a lot of one-to-one conversations and that's what took up so much time. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a, a, a cr- absolutely cr- crazy time i think for you know big businesses um and it's, it's interesting to see how big you know bigger businesses than, than us got through that so we're we're through covid now thank thank god to everyone do you think it had a, a net positive or negative effect on our industry as a whole that's a very difficult question <laughs> or do we still don't know we're still in the unknown um i i don't know but i don't know about a net positive or, or, or negative i think there are some positives that came out of it um and, and and some negatives where the balance lies i'm not quite sure i don't think we know that yet yeah, to be honest with you. um i think on the positive side i think there's a lot more um focus on cleaning as an industry i think yeah. you know people recognize it as something important which before was like it just kind of happened mm-hmm. <clears throat> i think that you know people now actually care about sort of hygiene and you know you go on the tube and it's just you know there's a lot more visibility about everything to do with cleaning and hygiene so i think that's that was a positive thing um, on the negative, um, personally, I think furlough went on for too long. Okay. Um, and, and I think it, it's changed the culture of work a lot. Um, and it's made it now really hard 
you know, COVID, not just furlough, but COVID generally has made it really hard now to recruit because obviously we've got all the economic kind of backlash from it. You know, furlough has to be paid back. Um, we're now paying for all, the, all of that free money. Yeah, all the bounce back loans um, that everyone took. But, you know, so many people, like 10% of our workforce left the country. Um, you know, a lot of people went off and, and became Amazon delivery drivers or just eat drivers. Um, you know, so a lot of people left the industry yeah. and, and a lot of people retired early and never came back. So us, like every other industry, is basically short of, of people. There's a shortage in the workforce. Yeah. Um, so I think that obviously can't be positive. It's a massive negative. Yeah. Some people would say it's Brexit. Some people would say it's COVID. I think it's probably a bit of both. Um, but I think that is... That is the biggest challenge. But, you know, on the upside of that, everyone's any more money than they ever have because yeah. <laughs> wages have gone up. So, yeah. um, you know, some people would say, actually, it's a good thing, but obviously now you've got inflation. So it's just, yeah. Still, still undecided. It, it's still undecided. Okay. You know, go round and round yeah. and round with it. So you were fortunate enough to be part of the all-parliamentary party group that was set up during COVID, I believe, you know, to understand how the cleaning and hygiene industry can, you know, help eradicate or deal with the pandemic and anything beyond that how did you get involved in that what was the process for there is it just someone come and said right we're setting up this group we're gonna and, and we want you to come be a part of that tell me a little bit about that process um so um that group yes came out of covid uh and again i think that was a, that was a positive thing because i think you know cleaning industry is a massive employer um, and if you think, you know, actually as an industry, what it contributes to, to UK PLC, yeah. it, it, it doesn't really get the parliamentary recognition that other industries I totally do. Agree, yeah. um, so, so that was that was a good thing. I mean, in terms of the sort of process, um, there, some of the um, original kind of panel, um, you know, members, uh, I knew and I was discussing with them about it. And I, I just put myself forward to let, you know, if you want me to get involved, I'm happy to do that. Um, I think... There was a lot of momentum at the beginning, but it's, it's sort of slowed up. Okay. Um, so I think the, the um, I know the current chair um, is, is struggling a little bit in terms of getting the, the traction and the, right. um, and the profile that, that, it, that it should have. Is that within um, Parliament? Yeah, within Parliament. And, um, you know, it kind of started off like, you know, with the two or three meetings and it was all... Uh, you know, okay. I think we had 70 MPs signed up. It was one of the biggest parliamentary groups. Um, but like all these things, it needs, it needs like, um, you know, momentum and it needs to kind of keep going. And, you know, once you lose that, it's quite difficult to, to get it back. So I, I really hope they will, because I think cleaning at the moment is kind of, again, it's not really, it's not really up there. It's sort of lost the, lost the focus a bit that it had. Obviously you can't keep, you know, can't yeah. have the focus all the time, but it'd be good if there was some long-term Kind of benefit from it and i think there are so many things that need to be fixed like the apprenticeship schemes and that which now are are happening so i mean in some ways you know that's a good thing because i know the apprenticeship whole levy thing was yeah you know it's been quite controversial because you haven't been able to use it for cleaners and supervisors no. before it's been for more senior positions which actually is kind of pointless really you want to train you know your core workforce mm. Um, so I think that's one good thing in terms of that lobbying piece because there's so much that needs to be done on, on, on lobbying yeah. whatever government it is do you find do you think for me and this is my, my personal opinion I think there seems to be a lot of effort now to you know write to your local MP um, I've seen Jim Melvin the chair um, of the uh, British Cleaning Council you know pushing that along I, I see his speech was fantastic at the cleaning show um on tuesday when it opened and there seems to be now a real push from the industry to say right actually let's start lobbying our mps let's start shouting about it encouraging people to do that 
Do you think we should have been making a little bit more, more noise during COVID to do that? Or do you think, what I'm aiming at is, do you think we, we're doing that a little bit late? We've missed the boat with that now. Now COVID is a distant memory for most people. Like we seem to be losing a little bit of momentum. Do you think we should have, as an industry, started earlier? Yeah, started a little bit earlier with sort of banging the drum and you know lobbying our local MPs. I, I've been to see my local MP um, about perception of the cleaning industry and and, and all the stuff that mm. all parliamentary group is is aiming for. Do you think we we should have done that a little bit sooner? Do you think we've missed the boat? Uh, I don't think we missed the boat. I think um, I mean it would have been good if the if the group was set up earlier. I'm I'm not sure logistically how it could have been because of. COVID and all the things that were going on. But um, it's kind of a shame it wasn't there before COVID, yeah. actually. Mm. So it could have been used sort of, you know, during. Um, I mean, I suppose, you know, I suppose if COVID hadn't happened, we wouldn't even have a group no, at no, this no, stage. No, I suppose that's <laughs> one positive thing to come out of it. Um, but I think, um, uh, yeah, Jim, Jim's a, a, a great um, advocate for the industry yeah, sure, as well. Um, so I think he will really, I think he will really push it. For, for us and I think it needs that sort of renewed renewed you know um, um, leadership and, and, and momentum um, I think that, that there is that there's so much to do on it also the industry is a bit sort of fragmented I find you've got the sort of BCC and then you've got the CSSA and you know with some industries there's like one organisation that yeah. speaks for, for everyone but mm. it, with cleaning it's not it's sort of two or three and it's Different a bit uh, it's a bit sort of um, fragmented like that okay do you find how, do, how could we get, how do you think the industry could get a more collaborative approach? Because obviously, you know, you're one of the, what I would say, the, the, the big end of the scale in terms of, you know, cleaning companies within, within the UK. How, how do we get a more collaborative approach between the industry? So like you say, we've got the British Cleaning Council, BICS and CSSA and all those guys. Is there a way to do that? Or is it just a case of it's so set in stone because the industry has been going this way for a very long time do you think there's a way we can reconcile that or do you think it's just you know we've got them fractions and they're never going to really come into into one um i don't i mean i don't see them all kind of coming together in terms of like one organization um which i kind of think is a bit of a shame actually because i think one organization would be awesome. better but yeah i can't ever see that happening because everyone's got like you know the rivalries and politics between it, but that's that's a separate thing. But um, I, I think more collaboration definitely would be a good thing. I think there's a lot of collaboration within those within those groups, um, and you know a lot of companies who would be you know competitors competitors and rivals yeah. um, are, are are members of those groups and you know get on very well. Um, but outside that, I'd be good if there was more collaboration between companies generally. Like you know we're talking today, but we're yeah. you know, technically competitors, but um, so it'd be good if there, if there was a bit more because I think you you know we've got a lot more in common than we have yeah, most not definitely. and we learn a lot from each other like you know uh, as an industry there'll be things that you do that we don't and, and vice versa so I mean I, I'm, I meet quite often with you know, at least once a month with some of our competitors yeah. um, on a kind of one to one basis and which you know, is, which most is, of them, you know, I know pretty well. Yeah, which is needed, as I say, especially when you're all pulling towards that end goal, where the, like COVID is concerned and getting recognition mm. for the industry. You know, you're not going to get a cleaning company that goes, oh, no, I don't really fancy the recognition for our staff and us as an industry. You know, we're all going in that direction. As I say, it's a shame. Sometimes it can be a little bit fragmented. But I was really pleased when that group was set up. Is, is it? So what's the plans for that group? Is it still ongoing or...? It's, yeah, it's still ongoing, and um, I think there's, um, you know, they need to, um, I mean, obviously we'll see what happens with any potential change of government and things, but I think um, the plans are to, to really renew the sort of, um, 
the lobbying piece in particular yep. and, and, and getting the recognition. But I think, you know, also um, just sort of getting more people into the workforce um, and, and, you know, potentially, I don't know, a lot of things have been talked about, you know, issuing visas yep. for, to, to get more people in. Um, this is such a shortage of, of, of staff, but they haven't got that, um, you know, the industry hasn't got that recognition in the same way the farmers have, for example. So, you know, fruit pickers got these special dispensations, you know, cleaners haven't got that yet. And there's also a big movement to um, to get key worker status yes, uh, as well, um, which again, personally, I don't think they will get it, no. but, um, but we're trying. The logic of that is just ludicrous, really, isn't it? You know, someone that's working in a hospital, you know, doing infection control is not a key infrastructure in that hospital. The very premise of that is just crazy, isn't it? I don't see how anyone can deny that fact, you know. Don't get me wrong, you know, if someone's cleaning a general office or something like that, but where you've got schools, hospitals and things, and, you know, key infrastructure like rail and things like that, the fact that some, how anyone could deny that the cleaner that's keeping that area clean and tidy, especially where you've got a pandemic, is not yeah, key infrastructure. Absolutely. It's just ludicrous. I just can't see how we can't gain momentum with that. But, of course, dealing with government we've got at the moment and things like that, it must be super difficult. But. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, you know, it's it, it was bizarre that they, they never did that. I mean, we actually... <laughs> we gave everyone key worker status when we talked to our clients we're like no I'm sorry they're coming in they're key workers um, so we just we just ignored the official we advice ahead and went ahead with it anyway yeah, we just thought well, whatever you know probably the, probably I think they're key workers they're yeah, key workers they're coming in keep you, keep you safe I, I totally agree yeah it was an interesting one COVID and obviously you know, we'll keep a keen eye on that how that moves forward um, one thing I want to discuss with you is, is you as a personal brand you are quite forward thinking in terms of yourself as the founder of Cleanology and, you know, putting yourself out there in terms of PR, social media. What's your take on that in terms of, you know, should we as the industry be doing more in terms of that to show people what we're doing? Because you're one of the companies that we believe you do well, you know. I see your face on social media. I see lots of articles that you write, which is fantastic. So is that a key part of your business strategy and you personally as a personal brand? Yeah, I mean, I... um I think messaging is really important, like how you how you sell your your company and brand. And obviously, you know, the world has changed a lot in terms of how that is done. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously, there's a, we've moved away from that traditional print. It's all it's all pretty much online now. Um, I mean, I quite enjoy it as well. I do. Um, yeah, I do. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's it's sort of part of part of my DNA. Um, but I think you know, for from a technology point of view, um, we like to talk about what we do, and you know, we've got a lot of positive stuff to talk about. I mean, we've probably got too much content, really. Um, and I think, you know, to promote the industry as well as being like, you know, a bit more exciting and fresh. And, you know, I don't think, I don't think you can ever really do too much. I think, you know, there are some industries that, you know, they put together very slick marketing, you know, like, you know, the car industry or retail or whatever. Um, there's no reason why we can't do, you know, can't do that as well. We shouldn't fall into our own trap that, you know, our world cleaning is not really glamorous. You know, we won't we won't put it out because it's not, I don't know, the banking industry or high-end fashion or whatever it may be. It's really refreshing to see another, you know, someone at the higher end, especially, um, doing that. And I think you guys do it well. So, you know, we applaud you for that. And I'd oh, like to see you. more of that. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoy it because some people go, you know, fit, see it as a necessary evil, but you, you, you seem to enjoy it and certainly do it well. And I say from the awards, you know, you're obviously getting some recognition for your business and the PR stuff is, is fantastic to see. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things that you've got to, um, 
you've got to do it all the time. You know, if you just post once a month, it's kind of it's kind of pointless, really. Mm. You know, you've got to you've got to keep doing it all the time. It's part of our, it's very much part of our um, marketing plan and awareness. Yeah. So one of the last points I want to, um, the last couple of points is you're obviously quite a green company. You know, you've got your electric vehicles out, out the front. Is that a big is that a big push that you're going towards um, in terms of your sustainability strategy? Tell tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, I mean, our sustainability is kind of like our core, yeah. you know, part of core of our business. Um, um, funnily enough, when we were moving, I found my old blue pizza badge, oh, really? <laughs> which is a green one, yeah. um, which I won for um, for setting up a recycling service. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's always been it's always been part of me. I, yeah. I, I was my favorite subject was geography. Um, I've always been a sort of people and planet type person. Um, and always interested in, in, in people and the way they live. And, you know, so I think it's a lot of companies are now like, you know, green and sustainable and like tick the box. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's quite annoying to see actually some, part, some of the greenwashing is just yeah. like, Oh, I've God, done a poster. We've done a post about that just recently, you know, um, about companies that shout green credentials, but really, I mean, I won't go into the details of it here, but you know, the, they bought one electric car out yeah, of like, you know, a hundred. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, everyone, the thing is everyone now has to do it. Sure. Um, but I'd like to think that we have, you know, led the way in this area in particular. Um, and it's something that we've done ever since we started. I mean, when we first started, we had microfiber cloths, which were costing, you know, one pound 50 a cloth. And, now they're like 30p each. Yeah. Um, but, you know, everyone was using disposables. There was no one using them. Um, so we were one of the first people to, to do that. So just in every, in every aspect of the business, I think we've always been, you know, this is a recycled glass. glass. Okay. Um, and, you know, like everything is sustainable, really, yeah. um, in terms of our, our outlook. It's not just cleaning products. You know, it's the whole way we deliver yeah. the business. And do clients perceive that? Is that a good Do clients, you know take that on and, and, and really embrace that. Yeah, I think so. I think they, they, they buy into that. And I think we're, we're working with clients now who share our values a lot more than, than before. Before yeah. we were much more, you know, sort of, I suppose when you first start, you know, you are more competitive on price maybe, but now we're very much about, you know, this is us, these are our values, this is what we're about. Yeah. You know, do you share that? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the business generally has changed a lot in the last few years, especially since COVID, that, the whole like well-being, you know, people side of things, you know, we're, we're, it's very, it's a lot more human than it used to be and less kind of, less kind of corporate, you know, like people and how you look after them, both your employees, your suppliers, just, you know, generally the way you do business yeah. is, is now so important. So important. Yeah. So my last question that we all ask most of our guests is, um, if you could give me as a SME new, you know, nowhere near the echelons of the, some of the bigger cleaning companies just yet. I'm sure we'll get there over time. What would be a key piece of advice that you'd give me or someone that's maybe just starting out in their cleaning, you know, cleaning business journey? Is there a particular piece of advice that you would put on the table for me to take away for today or our viewers, of course? Um, I think never give up. Um, I think, well, you know, it's, it's very easy to... Um, like I, I'm actually going to do a post at some point soon, but it's very easy when you read stuff on LinkedIn. Like we generally post like everything is positive, Post. but sometimes I'm like, do you know what? I've had such an awful day. I just can't bear posting. This. I, I had one yesterday. <laughs> very only and, yesterday. And I'm just like, you know, it makes it seem like the world is amazing, but actually I've just had the worst day. Um, and, and actually sometimes you have like really awful days yeah. and you know, stuff goes wrong. 
And it's very easy. And there are many times when I thought, you know what, I've just had enough. I just, you know, literally, if anyone gave me a pound for the company, I'll, I'll, I'll give it away. <laughs> yeah, you must have seen some of my posts, because that's what I say all the time, you know, when I've had a bad day, particularly. Um, so I think, you know, not, not to give up, because it's very, it's very easy to, um, to, to do that, I think, and just say, like, you know, you know I, I think it's very important, like, you know that other people are also having a bad day and that actually you can, you know, wake up in the morning and start again and yeah. just pick yourself up. And, you know, you have, you have setbacks and sometimes they're big setbacks. You lose, you know, a really big customer uh, or someone really important to the business and you think, how am I actually going to get through yeah. this? Um, but you know you do yep. you somehow you do manage to keep putting one foot in front of you know if you I always say to, you know to myself if I don't quit I can't I can't lose you know if I keep going keep putting one foot in front of the other that's definitely a trait you've got to have within within business definitely so I would most definitely echo that um, so yeah that's gonna that's gonna wrap up Dominic so a super interesting chat with Dominic. Dominic, again, thank you for having us at your HQ. As always, make sure you guys like and subscribe on YouTube. If you haven't already, check us out on all your favorite podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe and leave us a review. Dominic, thank you for having us. Pleasure, Chris. Thanks for and coming. we'll catch you guys on the next episode.